0: Church, if you have your copy of God's Word, would you turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I did want to, as Brock put it so uh, gracefully, put another shameless plug in for tonight. But they're really not shameless plugs, are they? Is God good, folks? Is He deserving of our corporate worship together? Uh, then it's not, it's not shameless to say that. In fact, I'm not ashamed to say that we ought to be in Sunday school together. We ought to be worshiping Christ together corporately with his body, with his church, every opportunity uh, we get. So tonight we get another opportunity to do that in Psalm uh, 101. It's our second part, what we looked at last week. If you weren't here last week, that's fine. I'm going to have a little bit of a recap at the beginning, and you can always uh, take 30 to 35 minutes and listen to it on fbcgraygables.com, right? Uh, and so uh, to listen to last week's sermon, we're talking about holy resolutions that David uh, gives us. And one of this uh, tonight, what he talks about uh, is who David lets into his inner circle of friends, You ever want a guideline for who your friends and your inner circle ought to be, then come tonight because David will give you straight out of God's word wonderful uh, principles by which you should choose uh, your inner circle of friends. Bad company corrupts good morals. You know that, right? Uh, That's what Paul writes to those in Corinth. And so I encourage you uh, to be here tonight if you are able as we look at God's word together Again, Our sermon passage today, however, is 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3, at least starting there, and read to verse 11. Remember, we're continuing our uh, new theme for the year of grow. And we're looking first and foremost how we grow up. And we're growing up and learning God's truth. And so it's going to be 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, And so if you've turned there in your Bibles... Uh, Would you do me the pleasure of standing so we can read God's word together, showing that we have reverence, that this is God's word, that he has spoken, and we are hearing it. Remember, this is Paul's letter to Timothy. Paul has been released from his first Roman imprisonment. He's free now. He's doing other apostolic ministries. But he writes this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, who he's left in the city of Ephesus to take care of all of these matters that are in need of his attention. So, With that being said, let's hear the word of the Lord. We'll begin reading in verse 3. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand either what they're saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, or for murderers and immoral men and uh, homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. First Baptist Church of Great Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word this morning. Father in heaven, we want to uh, be a healthy church. We desire that you would grow us continually into a healthy church. But we know that we can't be a healthy church without the gracious work of your Holy Spirit. We know that your Spirit works through your word to accomplish your kingdom purposes. And, and so we pray, God, that as we think about what it means to be a healthy church, that through healthy teaching that comes from you, that then gives us wisdom and direction in how we may. May trust and obey you, how we can love for you and live for you. We, we pray that in the midst of all of this, that the gracious Holy Spirit would work through the word to save us and sanctify us, so that we may be fruitful kingdom citizens, pleasing to our heavenly Father, bearing much fruit in kingdom service as we devote ourselves to you. We ask for the forgiveness of our sins and the coming sanctifying work of the Spirit. We're asking this all. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as we've already said, we've began our theme of the year, which is grow. We've seen in the process that we want to grow up towards the Lord by learning God's truth um, and coming I think in March we're going to look at a mini series of how we grow in with God's church through loving relationships and then finally at the end of the year we'll look at how we grow out by making disciples to multiply throughout the nations. So we started last week with growing up. How do we grow toward the love or toward the Lord in our love for him? Well it's simple we do that by learning God's truth. Uh, The way the kingdom of God moves forward, the way we grow in grace, is through the Bible. It's through the word of God, the truth of God. So we saw last week that the Bible is, is God's revelation. It's a special revelation to us, his people. It's as if we have a love letter directly from the God of the universe to us. It's God's breathed out truth. And so God reveals himself in and through the pages of scripture. The Bible we saw was necessary because it is a book like no other book. It's the book God has given to us to reveal himself, but not only just himself, but to reveal his will for us, what he desires for us. We also saw the utility of the Bible, that the Bible was useful. Remember Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, the Bible is useful for four things. What were they? They were for teaching, right? For helping us understand the things about God. Uh, reproof, helping us to know when we're off track, correction, helping us to get back on track, and then finally, uh, training in righteousness, helping us to stay on the paths of righteousness as we grow into mature believers. And then we look finally at the sufficiency of the Bible. We looked at how we need God's word, and God's word is really all we need. Well, today, we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about how it is to be ministered, how it is to be used for the work of ministry, the ministry of the Word of God. I've got three points. They should be uh, in your uh, sermon outline, in your bulletin, the outline looks a little bit different than it did last week. I still have subpoints; I just haven't listed them. Uh, so uh, I want you to look at these three points and think very simply about what God's Word has to say about how it is to be used for ministry. First, I want us to look at the goal of ministry, the goal of ministry of God's truth. What is it aiming at? And the working of God's word out as we minister it to each other, as we minister in his church, what's the goal, what's the aim? Well, here in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul introduces this to us. In the passage we read in in verse 3, Paul starts by uh, telling Timothy, listen, it's very important that you deal with these false teachings. That's the reason I left you in Ephesus, he says in verse 3. As I urged you for my, partner to Mas- uh, my departure from Macedonia, as I left you in Ephesus, there were those who were, who were propagating these ideas that were really not true or sound or uh, doctrinal. So I've charged you to instruct those people not to teach. The word literally is hetero-teach, uh, to teach the other To teach that which is other. Don't teach anything other than the apostolic truth of the gospel. See, in the context here, there were certain people here who were uh, teaching things not according to the apostolic doctrine of Christ. So he says, you, being the pastor, Timothy, using the word of God, you've got to instruct them not to do it. Then it's not just they aren't to propagate it, but in verse 4, he goes on to say uh, also they're not to pay any attention to the myths or to endless genealogies, he says. The reason for that is because these fallacious things parade around as the truth of God, but they're not. They're not the truth of God. They may sound appealing, they may tickle ears, but they're not really powerful. They have in them not the word of life. They're myths. They are a misuse of the Old Testament genealogies. Well, what this gives is rise to mere speculation. It's not really solid, substantial truth that you can base your life upon, but it's mere speculation, which is only going to lead further to uh, contention. And all of this is in contrast to the way that God administers his kingdom. God administers his kingdom by faith. And God advances his kingdom through the truth of God that is believed by faith by the people of God. And so then he goes on down to verse six and and look at what he says. He says in verse six, for some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion. They wanna be teachers of the book even though they want to be teachers, they don't understand even what the, the matters in which they're making confident assertion. So this is what he says in contrast to that. And I save this because this is our key verse here. And it's such a wonderful verse. Highlight this verse if you don't have it highlighted already in your Bible. It's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Look at what it says. This is key for understanding the goal of the ministry of the Word of God. Because this is what Paul says. He says, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Did you see that, church? The goal of ministry of the word of God is love. Different versions interpret this, by the way, in different ways. Um, he says the goal of our instruction. Uh, some translate that word instruction as teaching. I don't know if you have that in your Bible, but really the Greek word means, means charge. The, the goal of our charge, the goal of our command that is what's being charged, to, to teach Christ. The goal of the command in charge to teach Christ through his word, the truth of Christ through his word, the gospel of the truth of Christ through his word, it's to communicate Christ. The goal of all of it is love. Love from a, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. That word goal, by the way, it means what we're aiming toward. What is our directive? That which is designed to be fulfilled. Here is the truth of God and the administration of God. The goal of all of it is love. We know obviously that we are to love one another, don't we? But but this is the chief virtue. We see it all throughout scripture. We are called to love. The two great commandments we know. What do they both have in front of them? Love. What's the first fruit of the Spirit? Love. So the goal also of the communication of the revealed will of God has love as its goal. The truth of God is to make more loving people. Uh, To love wisely. To love truthfully. But he he doesn't just stop there. He also connects the goal of making people more loving with these three dimensions that are all involved with your love. See, that love comes from what kind of a heart? A pure heart. Well, what is it that can cleanse our hearts? Uh, Jesus says on the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew chapter five, verse eight, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That is, you have to have your heart purified if you're really going to be a Christian. And the way that comes is through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in Titus 2, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, Paul talks about how Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. See, we kind of like that first part a whole lot, right? Uh, every lawless deed, he came to redeem me from that. Man, that's, that's fantastic. We should celebrate that. It's great. Everything that I've done, past, past present, future, has been washed clean by the blood of Christ. Praise God, that's great. Now I'm good, right? <laughs> that, that's it. I, I've, just been, I've just been forgiven, redeemed every lawless deed, and that's it. I don't have to do anything else, but know what else happens. In God's work of salvation, he is purifying for himself a people for his own possession. The atonement of Christ is how you get your heart purified. Uh, Through the gracious operation of Christ's atoning work on behalf of, uh, uh, applied to us by the Holy Spirit, out of those purified hearts then comes this virtue of love. True, sincere love. So a purified heart, the gospel enables us to have our hearts purified. And the second thing is out of a good conscience. Because the work of the Holy Spirit is to take the truths that we come to understand and embrace and guide us in our daily living. You know what your conscience is, don't you? This is part of what it means to be made in the image of God, by the way. You and I were made in his image. That means there are some ways in which we were made like our creator, Father God. And there are many ways in which we were not made this way. One of those is that we have a conscience. Every one of you has a conscience. You can sear your conscience. You can render your conscience ineffective. But regardless, you have a conscience. God has given people made in his image this very special gift. This conscience is a, it's a moral compass. It, it's that which lets us know that we're either doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 2 that, that all men, even people who live in the darkest, most barbaric parts of human civilization, you know what they have? Consciences. That they have the law of the Lord written on their hearts. And this is part and parcel with the way God created them in his image. He goes on to say how how their conscience either vindicates or judges them. It defends or it accuses them. You know that feeling, don't you, right? I want to do this, but I know that this is wrong. Uh, The question is, you know it's wrong. What do you do with the conscience warning that you've been given? Right, so when... When my wife goes to bed and my kids go to bed and I start getting a little sense of hunger, which happens all the time, I've got a couple of options here, right? I know that what I could do, Justin, was something that's terrible for my body and my health and go sneak into the cookie jar and grab you know, just one Handful of cookies, right? Uh, and and eat them, and, and no one will ever know, right? They won't know, they won't notice, even though they always notice. Uh, they won't notice, they won't know, and yet I'm conflicted because I know that's not the right thing. I don't want to develop these type of eating habits and share them with my family and think this is okay to do your body so late and uh, and to have to lie to my doctor later. I don't want to have to do such things, and so I know this is what the conscience does when you know it's wrong. What do you do? with that warning that's been given. You will either obey it. My body is a temple made for the Lord. You need to take better care of it, in which case your conscience will defend you, or you will disobey it. I'm eating, and in which case your conscience will accuse you. So this works kind of as our moral compass. And then he says uh, it's a good conscience because it can be defective if you never pay attention to it. But the conscience actually works there as God's warning flag. You know, if you've ever been to the beach and the the weather's a a bit windy, you know when the riptide is so severe that they put the flags down to say, don't go there. You can look at those flags and say, I know I'm not supposed to go there, but I'm going to go there anyway. This is what people have been doing with their consciences. It's telling me not to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Well, friends, eventually you can get to the point where you numb your conscience so that it doesn't even bother you anymore. Uh, That's not a good conscience. Uh, The grace of God comes to give us good consciences. A good conscience is one that is informed by the truth of God's word because you can think something is wrong and feel guilty about doing it when it may not even be wrong at all. Your conscience isn't infallible, (laughs) But the goal of every Christian should be, I want to have my conscience trained. I want to know what is right and what is wrong. And to think that you are going to develop that as a Christian, apart from deep study in God's word, is lying to yourself. It's a lie. It's a falsehood. God gives us the truth of his word to produce in us a good conscience so that we may know his will. We may know the principles of desire in such a way that we seek to obey him. And in that way, we can train our consciences to be good. I want to have a good conscience that guides me according to the truth of God's revealed will. And it's the scripture that informs my conscience. Then when by his grace my conscience tells me don't do it, I don't do it. That's the function of the work of the spirit of Jesus Christ in us. It purifies our hearts and then he sensitizes and informs our conscience so they function properly. Yet there's a third thing. And it's a sincere faith. The word here for sincere faith actually is a word that means a non-hypocritical Faith. It's not a faith of mere pretense, right? Because there are people who say that they believe all this stuff about Jesus, all this stuff about the Bible, but it's only facts in the brain to which at some level they give some sort of mental assent. But, But when the Bible talks about unhypocritical, sincere faith, it means a faith that moves from your head to your heart. Christ is not merely a concept with which I agree. He's a person on whom I rely. Those are two incredibly different things. Uh, Friends, you can get away with pretending to be a believer, but it's hypocritical. It's a mask wearing faith, it's not true, lasting, or most importantly, a saving faith whatsoever. It's not the kind of faith that James says will save because it's that kind of faith is like the body without a soul. It's a dead faith. What Paul's talking about here is people in whose hearts the Holy Spirit has so worked that they've got a pure heart, a good conscience, and their genuine, authentic trust, reliance on Christ, all of it works out in love. Love the God first and foremost, but also love that bears the image of God, reveals, shows, exhibits the image of God to others around them. Paul says, this is the goal of the, the charge and command we've received to preach and proclaim Christ. Proclaim the truths about Christ. Who he was, what he came to do. And so here's a real moment for application for us as First Baptist Church of Greg Gables. We should ask ourselves, as you're continuing maybe in the three-year Bible plan, you're starting a new Bible plan, I know our students are doing the five-by-five-by-five Bible plan, we should ask ourselves as we're reading the Bible, as we read the Bible each week, study the Bible, listen to sermon, go to Sunday school, have devotions, is this making me a more loving person? Because that's the goal. The Spirit of God works through the Word of God in such a way that the goal of your Bible reading, your study, your listening, your hearing, your worship, gathering together, it should produce a more loving person. It's the ministry, the goal of the ministry of God's truth. That I would be someone who loves God better and loves my neighbor better. Of course, we know that's, I mean, that's fruit of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? So, so we should therefore pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. God, as I, as I listen to sermons, as I read the Bible, use it, Father, to make me a more loving person. See, this is opposite of that uh, pharisaical type of faith where you get all the knowledge whatsoever and you use it to impose law without love. That's not the goal. The goal isn't just so you know more and then you stop there. The goal is that you know more so that you would know how to love God more and love others more. We've missed this in church quite often. We think the goal of God's word is to get us excitable. It's to inform us so that we may impose our will on others. That's not the case. The word of God ought to produce love in you. Compassion, grace, fruit, but most importantly, love. I've been reminded even this week how important love is. And so I've been praying, God, make me a more loving Christian. Make Gray Gables a more loving church. I mean, we we got to hear testimonies in our Sunday school today about how God has worked this and and, and, and lots of people would probably define this as a loving church, but church, don't you dare think we ever arrive at this. If, If you think that you've arrived at being a loving church, you know what you'll do? You'll stop being a loving church. You'll grow complacent in your love. Because guess what? Here's something we know about the Lord. We ought to love like the Lord loves. And friends, you in your state right now, you can't out love the Lord. We strive towards it. We want to love like Jesus. But are you telling me right now that you love like Jesus? We will never arrive at this place. We'll never get to the place where our love is perfected in this life. There's always room for improvement, but we should be praying to God, your grace and the truth of your love. May it be more and more and more in me, more and more and more of the time. That is the goal of the ministry of the word of God in us. Now I've got really good news. The last two points are very, very short. Okay? Uh, The second point we want to hear is the focus of the ministry of God's truth. What is the focus of the ministry of God's truth? And I'll give this one to you. It's an easy one, it's a Sunday school answer. The focus is Christ. The focus of the ministry of God's truth is Jesus Christ. It's Christ Himself. He is. Where all of our focus comes from, as we preach God's word, as we sit around our Sunday school classes and we discuss God's word, as we hold brothers accountable and loving discipline with God's word, Christ is always the focus. He's the focus of everything. He's the focus of your life, or he ought to be. You were created to focus upon Christ. Now I have a couple texts here. Paul Uh, Talking to the church at Colossae uh, Colossae was uh, talking to them about spiritual growth that takes place. And he says this in in verse uh, 28, I I believe of chapter 1, if I'm correct. Uh, uh, He says this. He says, We proclaim him. We herald Christ. We preach Christ. We proclaim Christ. Admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ, mature in Christ. So, how do you come about maturity in Christ? By preaching Christ. Uh, Even the admonition and the instruction, everything needs to be Christ-centered. Christ needs to be the focus of the ministry of the Word of God. From the pulpit and your home and your devotions and family worship, Jesus himself is the special revelation from God. And, And it gives us another goal, completeness, maturity in Christ. It comes by appropriating Christ as he reveals himself in and through the scriptures to us by the Holy Spirit. And I love that. We talked about this text last week. I cut this part out of my sermon so it's not in my notes. Uh, But John chapter 5, Jesus uh, tells the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And and he's right. They searched the scriptures. The Pharisees, they would continue. No one knew the scriptures like the Pharisees. But they were thinking that in those scriptures themselves found eternal life. But what does Jesus say? These things testify of me. The reason, Pharisees, you're not finding eternal life in the Scriptures is because you're missing the point. They are about me. And guess what Scriptures he's referring to there in the New Testament, John chapter 5? The Old Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament. The central character of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. He's the central part of every facet of every bit of Scripture. Christ is the main character. So the focus as we read our Bibles properly is to bring us to Christ. That's where love comes from. It comes from God through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. So our focus, the focus of our faith, because it's the focus of God's revelation, is Jesus. So let me ask you again... Not only is the ministry of the Word of God, does it make you more loving, are you connecting Christ to everything? Is Christ the central figure in your Bible study? As you're reading, if you're, if you're where I am, and you're reading in the Old Testament right now through your Bible reading plan, are you thinking upon Christ? Do you rep- recognize that the Bible itself is a thread and all of it's about Jesus, Creation, fall, redemption, consummation is all God's plan of redemption coming into human history and laying itself out. The Bible is about Jesus. Is Jesus central in your Bible reading, in the ministry of the Word, in the preaching of the Word, and what you're hearing in the Word? And let me just tell you this this is where we ought to be careful of what we're listening to, folks. Because there are a lot of good moral teachings out there about how to be a better person, but they are disconnected from the person and work of Jesus Christ. And therefore, they're disconnected from the Word of God. They sound like it's the Word of God. They may even use the Word of God in trinkets here and there, but they're not biblically preaching Christ in biblical theology, in the story, and in Christ, the central figure. Right? Right? You hear a story of David and Goliath and they teach you that you're David in the midst of this and you need to defeat the giants in your life. Guess what? That story's not about you. Jesus is the greater David who comes to defeat a weak, worthless people, the Israelites, us, his church. He comes to defeat their enemy on their behalf. That's the picture of that story. You're not David. You're not even close. You know who you are? You're the weak, scared, fragile Israelites who want no part of the battle. That's who you are in that story. But good news is that God gives us a gift in showing us a a type of Christ, a picture of Christ. The King David who's going to come and who's going to defeat the enemy on our behalf. So that we, like the Israelites, can, can claim victory even though he's the one who's done all the work. And so this is important. As we understand, it's all about Jesus. Amen. Everything, the focus of our ministry, the focus of the word of God, it's about Jesus. And then I've got one more. This is the fruit of the ministry of God's word. Obviously, we can say in one sense, the fruit of the ministry of, of God's truth is in itself love. Obviously, that's an easy one. I've got a, another one that's even a further goal. And the further goal of The fruit of the ministry of God's word, friends, it's transformation. The fruit, the evidence that God's word is being faithfully preached, taught, heard, and responded to, received, will be transformation. He desires that we be transformed into the image of Christ, and he also desires to make us agents of transformation. So the Bible is vitally important if we're going to fulfill that mandate that he's given to us. In 1 Peter, he's he's talking to them about their responsibility and obedience to be fervent in their love for one another. Be unhypocritical in your love towards one another. And then he says, this is the reason. How is it you're able to be fervent in your love for one another? This is what he says in 1 Peter 1. He says, for you've been born again, not of a seed which is perishable. We're not not talking about some agricultural item, but, but the seed that is imperishable. The seed that will never perish. That is through the living and enduring word of God. So church, you've been born again how? By the imperishable word of God. And then he goes on to say, and this is the word which was preached to you. It's through the proclamation of the word of God that God even starts to work in our spiritual lives. It's the seed of God that brings eternal life into us. And it is that word that abides forever. The eternal word of God is planted into our souls. That's what it means to, to be called born again. We've been born again by the living and abiding word. We had a great illustration of this. What Brother Brock read from Acts sixteen. The Apostle Paul. Remember, he comes to the city called Philippi, and there apparently wasn't no, uh, wasn't a synagogue there. So he goes out into the prayer meeting of Jewish women. He gives them uh, it gives him an opportunity to preach the gospel to this group. And there's one woman there, Lydia, who's a, a businesswoman. It says Paul was preaching, and that the Lord opened her heart to receive the things that were spoken by Paul. You want to guess what Paul was speaking? What Paul always spoke after the road uh, to Damascus. Christ. He's preaching Christ. The Lord opened her heart to receive the things she was hearing from the mouth of Paul. See, the seed of God, the, the gospel of God is now being planted in her soul to bring her to eternal life. She lays hold of that truth with, with a heart of faith, embracing Christ who was offered in the gospel. This is what God does in bringing people into eternal life. He makes them born again. The Spirit uses the Word of God to bring eternal life to the people of God. And that's why a sound gospel is vitally important to spiritual life. Because it's the truth of the gospel that with an unashamed faith, we embrace Christ as He's offered. the very beginning of our spiritual lives, our transformation is through the truth of the Word of God. But it's not just, okay, we got that out of the way, now let's move on to some other way. No, the word of God is also how we grow in the new life in Christ that we have. Just think of the parable that Jesus teaches. Remember from uh, the four soils, he, he talks about the sower who goes out, he throws the seed, and it, it lands in these different types of soil. And we learn that the sower of the seed is Christ himself, and the seed is the message of the kingdom, the word of God. The last soil, the fourth soil, which is the good soil, receives the seed and brings forth fruit. Well, then, okay, we ask the question, how is it that we become fruitful Christians? Through the preaching of Christ. Through the preaching of Christ. In fact, John 15, the whole parable analogy there. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Where does fruitfulness come from? Christ. He talks about his word abiding in us. There is no other way to be truly, spiritually fruitful than through Christ and the truth of Christ. Psalm 119, 105, we know these verses. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's through your word, God, that I go through the paths of righteousness. And it's the word that keeps us from getting off path. Psalm 119, 11, your word I have treasured in my heart. Why? That I may not sin against you. What is it that keeps us from sin? It's the gracious work of the Spirit, sure, but what does the Spirit use? It's the word treasured in our hearts. It's the work of the Spirit working through the word. That's why the word's so important, guys. Not just to bring us to faith, but to grow us in faith in Christ Jesus. So our personal spiritual life is dependent on the word for fruitfulness. And this is fleshed out in so many different ways. It's fleshed out in our homes. Are our homes being transformed by the word of God? Are our families being transformed as we raise our children, as we influence our grandchildren? Are they being transformed by how we minister the word to them? It's the ministry of the word of the church. Is our church being transformed because we're preaching Christ boldly? We're sharing about Christ individually, together? And what about society? Just take a look at society. We often complain about society. Friends, we, once again, have the weapons needed to fix society. It's the gospel. What part are we playing in bringing the truth of God's word, ministering the truth of God's word into society? All of these are places and areas that the Word of God equips us and connects us to Christ to make us more like Christ. So, so can we be a healthy church apart from a healthy ministry of the truth of Christ? Absolutely not. No way. So we we should pray that God would would keep us, that he would help us if and when people come around and they're bringing us other things that are not really in accord with sound biblical doctrine, we need to be sensitive to this. Because if if you eat junk food, it's not going to make you healthy. You have to have healthy food, and it's the same is true for your souls. Uh, The healthy food is Christ in the scriptures, Healthy food for your soul is Christ. Properly understood, properly applied, not just to the mind, but to the life. And, and let me share with you one final application of why this is important. Because oftentimes I've noticed that when people are going through difficult times in their life, they feel like they need to take a break from the body. And it just doesn't make sense to me. I, I understand that not wanting to be around people in a sensitive issue, I can understand that, but, but you're around your family, you know what this is, church? This is your family. We are in this together as a body. And so I say this because for you to, to depart from the church, to step away from the church, is to begin to malnourish yourself. To step away from the truth of God's word because your life is not maybe what you thought it would be in this individual moment, it's not going to nourish you and make anything better. It's going to mount nourish you. And those who are, are truly in Christ, they always find their way back. And we, we praise God for that. And, 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 and God and his relationship with you will always keep you. And we praise God for that as well. But friends, when, when you're going through difficulty, lean into the church. Listen, we won't love you perfectly, but we'll point you to the one who will. We'll point you to nourishment for your soul if we're doing our job. And so if you're here and just, just like Brother Brock said, you're, you're not connected. Friends, if this is true, if what we say is true, that the goal of this is love, that we're being more loving Christians, and, and, and the goal of this, the focus of this is Christ, and, and the fruit of this is transformation, you ought to want to get as much as, as this as you possibly can. As much as you... There's no such thing as too much Bible. And we've accepted a lie in our culture that says that's actually a thing. Oh, you're giving me too much. Too much of what? <laughs> let, your, let, let your kids try that when you tell them to eat their vegetables. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I've taken one bite. That's too much. It doesn't work. So it doesn't work for the people of God. Friends, we need all that we can get. <laughs> We need continually, day by day, in in our relationships with the body outside Sundays and Wednesdays, in our phone conversations, in our family lives, we need to be centered on the ministry of the Word of God because it's healthy, healthy food for our souls. So uh, as we close, we talked about this last week. When you desire the Lord of the Word, you'll desire the Word of the Lord. But but church, as, as we lean into the church, as we are faithfully holding each other accountable to preach Christ, we ought to desire Christ's church even more. We will not grow apart from the ministry of the word of God. We won't be more like Christ. We won't be sanctified day in and day out if we're not actively engaged and involved with what Christ has to offer with his church and his word. So if you're not a part of a Sunday school class, join a Sunday school class. If, if you think Sunday nights is just a time off for you, I, man, I, I, listen, my job is not to make these things attractive. My job is to present Christ as attractive and pray you'd see him that way. I, that's, what I, that's all I can offer you. I can offer you the Christ of the Bible and my prayer is that he would be so attractive and desirable for you that you literally get to the point where you cannot get enough of him. That's maturity in Christ. And we all need that. Your pastor needs it even more. We all need to do this together. And so I'm praying that we would be a healthy church. And friends, a healthy church has to be a church that's together administering the word of God as he's called us to do. I'll just stand as we close together in prayer.